<laughs> I'm Dan Oster. And I'm Doug Leaf. And today our quote unquote villain, our Sephiroth of today, <laughs> is the Crypt Keeper, because I get to pick. It's my pick. I choose the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> we every once in a while one of us will say, you know, I know you probably don't want to do this, but I want to put all my chips on green today. <laughs> I let you do this. I want to do the Crypt Keeper. I don't care if he's not really a villain. <laughs> I don't care if he's mostly a framing device. I want to do it. <laughs> that's okay i i'm sure you've got lots to say and i'm kind of excited to hear it because this is a character that i'm only marginally familiar with so uh this is going to be fun i definitely think he's in the zeitgeist i think he is a reference that people get a reference that people make i think that like sephiroth there is a section of our audience that lights up at the notion of talking about the crypt keeper you know if you got to watch this series on HBO when you should not have been watching when you were a kid. (laughs) But if you were allowed to, it left a mark on you. You know, it felt like something forbidden, something like you shouldn't be doing it. And, uh, and this character was really, I mean, he, he sticks with you. I mean, he's a great example of puppeteering and the voice work is astounding. And he's just, he is the horror pun master. (laughs) that's true and halloween is already a holiday that is like up to its eyeballs and puns well that's the interesting thing i think it always was the popsicle stick jokes you get and it's always like you know why didn't why didn't the skeleton cross the road he didn't have the guts i mean there's always those kinds of i think halloween's had that for a long time but you know the crypt keeper's legacy does go back to the 1950s so i kind of wonder I feel like he did have an influence on that concept. So it may actually extend into pretty much everybody's conception of what Halloween is in a way. Yeah, I I, I saw that, too, because, you know, again, this is not a character that I was familiar with because I didn't watch Tales from the Crypt when it was on. And I haven't really gotten a chance to go back to it much since. So I've, I've, I mean, again, it was in the zeitgeist. You could, you know, as soon as you said, you know, let's do the Crypt Keeper, it wasn't like I was like, Crypt Keeper? Who's that? Like, I, <laughs> I have, you know, I, I feel like I have a, a, some sense of, of who this character is. Just right. Everybody knows, has an image of the Crypt Keeper. I could go to my mom and be like, we're doing the Crypt Keeper. And she'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I know who that is. He keeps crypt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but w- I, it was interesting to see that he does kind of have this legacy that I, I thought like this was just a creation of the HBO ah. series. And it was older than that. And I was surprised to find that out when I when I okay. started looking at it. Well, so. it's interesting because you and I have a lot of overlap in our areas of interest. But then every so often we find a spot where that's not the case. And it's exciting because I get to educate you a little bit on it. And it definitely informs you a bit of where I come from and mm-hmm. why I am the way I am, <laughs> why the things that are wrong with me are are there. All right. Well, let's invert it for fun. All right. Doug, without having any studying with this abusive childhood that you had to endure where you weren't allowed to watch this show, what do you know <laughs> about the Crypt Keeper? Uh, obviously, you know, he is this puppeteered corpse looking guy. Um, almost like a charred corpse. Like he's this like kind of like grisly kind of gray look to him. He is the Rod Serling of the show. He sure he he is Rod Serling is the host of the Twilight and the creator and and, and like main writer on the Twilight Zone. Yes. Yeah. And and he's just as that is a kind of a sometimes horror, but mostly sci-fi anthology series. This is a horror anthology series. And, and he is our host 
so he appears, you know, at the beginning of the show, at the end, and occasionally, I imagine, in the middle. And I do know that there was a, this came out of a run of comics from the 1950s. I don't really have much of a sense of whether the HBO version of the character has any relate, you know, how closely it resembles what was in those comic incarnations. But beyond that, I really don't know a lot other than just the general, like, you know, gleeful uh, pun explosions. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just know that he loves to do that. And that's that's a part of the, the charm. But I really don't know a whole lot about him as a, a character. I did read that there was like one episode of the show where they explored his like his parentage. Yes, that would be the episode Lower Birth. We can get into that if you'd like. Yeah, and it is. I a, did. I a, didn't. A, read it is also it, yeah. a pun. It is B E R T H. <laughs> of course, like like the birth of a ship or something. The lower birth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I did not go and watch the episode, so I, I'll, I'll rely on you to fill me in on you know it's how not that. My favorite episode, but it is notable for that reason. Yeah, but I don't know how much like lore or backstory this character has. Okay. I, I really don't know. So I'm I'm looking to you to fill me in. Okay, well, uh, you're correct on a lot of that stuff. As you always like, you always like to compliment me. Well, you you got really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's some there's some differences. He doesn't ever show up in the middle. He's not like that. Mm. He's just at the be- He's just sort of at the beginning at the end. Um, but yes, let's go back and look at the source material because it started. The series began in 1989, but the story goes way back further than that. So uh, it began with EC Comics in 1950, I believe, is when the first uh, issue of Tales from the Crypt. Happened now. What was interesting was it actually appeared in a series called Crime Patrol. <laughs> That's what EC Comics was doing, and they were just like they wanted to branch out, so they had some sort of horror story and they threw it into Crime Patrol. And I believe the but there's people, a yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like comic book characters that start out that way, where it's like we introduce Spider Man in you know he's not in like Spider Man number one, he's in sure. like some other random comic book. Well, it makes sense, right? You want to try it out. If people like it, there's an audience for it, then you keep it going. So they had done mm-hmm. a series of titles, and also these titles from this era are great. There's so many, and they're like interchangeable. It's like Weird Science, Two Fisted Tales, Two Fisted Science, <laughs> you know, Weird <laughs> Tales. Yeah. You know, there's just there's they're just kind of throwing it all at the wall, and what I found in my research was that there's something sort of interesting about this is that the audience, it was like guys coming back from the war who had like mm. seen a lot and like their tastes had kind of like, it's like their eyes had been opened and like they wanted to like entertainment that was dealing with some of these bigger issues, you know, uh, you know, more sex and violence and stuff like the world kind of, not as it is, but like this sort of pulpy uh, version of it, you know, they, 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 there was an appetite for that with a lot of like veterans and stuff. So for, like former GIs, uh, I thought that was interesting. Also, in the comics, they were known for actually exploring social issues, things like racial injustice and thing and and, and sexism and, and economic inequality and things like that. Just through you know the lens of let's throw a zombie in there too. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of that in in sci-fi writing. Whether you look at like say like the original Star Trek, like there's this or, or the Twilight Zone, like there there is this opportunity to use this really fantastical medium as like a test balloon for social change. Well, like, the thing about racists is they're fucking idiots and they're literalists, so it's really easy to fool them by putting a veneer of something else on top of it. Right. And then they don't get that. Oh, that's what you're talking about. And that's what you're doing. And (laughs) artists are usually more open minded people. So, hey, these guys are throwing themselves in these stories, issues that matter to them. 
And also they're doing it in because it's also fun to do it this way, but it's also a good way to sort of hide what you're talking about. And I, I won't pretend that these comics were all with a heavy social message. Most of the time, it was just like this sort of giddy, grotesque thrill, sort of a a grand guignol kind of a kind of a thing. You know what I mean? But like occasionally, they did touch on those kinds. Of, that, look, there's a heavy moral element to it too. The evil are punished. You know, the right. bad people, it, it, the the comeuppance. You know, it's actually a complaint I sort of have about Black Mirror sometimes. I would call Black Mirror an anthology series that is like 90% of the way there. But it seems a little arbitrary in the outcomes. Like, nice people get fucked over sometimes and they don't really deserve it. I feel like in the Tales from the Crypt and Twilight Zone worlds, the, the people have it coming. In the Tales from the Crypt universe, look, the good suffer and the evil suffer the most. That's they get dragged every, to hell. Yeah, yeah, everyone suffers, but the bad guys mm-hmm. suffer the most. And um, But I'll get to the HBO series in a little bit. I do love that in that show, it is this, I would call it an alternate reality. I remember I said to Jen, like, what I love about it is, like, it's this alternate reality where everyone's just awful. And she goes, yeah, alternate reality. <laughs> but, but it is kind of like they had so much fun with that show because everyone's shitty you know the the minor characters the major characters everyone's kind of just out for themselves they clearly had a lot of fun with that so tell me a little bit about what the Crypt Keeper is like in this initial run of comics I, the one thing I did see was that he's not a corpse he's like a oh, guy yeah the design is completely different he's actually kind of boring in terms of what he looks like he's just sort of a regular white dude in like a kind of a blue robe i think and like long white hair and in his initial incarnations he was written to be a little bit more of a scary figure and pretty quickly they started to play him for laughs and started to do the puns all the puns in like big bold capital letters you know again boils and ghouls instead of boys and girls and you know it's just it's a ridiculous number of puns and it doesn't even fully make sense you know it's just it's just thrown in there to be ridiculous so that's that's how he was uh, portrayed in the comics and they certainly kept that for the HBO series though they changed the look completely but let's back up a little bit because I wanted to talk about one of the more interesting aspects of the history of this stuff so this is in the early 1950s and you have these right. stories these comics if you read them now are grotesque <laughs> I mean they, the drawings are awful the rotting corpses tearing people apart it's unbelievable stuff it's really scary stuff to look at now but there wasn't really any kind of regulation and so what ended up happening is there were congressional hearings about these kinds of comics and to stop actual government regulation the publishers decided to adhere to what was called the comics code authority oh that's interesting that's where that's where this comes in yes uh, hmm. basically they didn't want to lose advertisers and readership. And so they said, we're going to adhere to this series of rules. These rules are ridiculous. And they pretty much stayed in place up until I think DC finally jumped ship in 2011. Uh, Marvel jumped ship as, cause Marvel's just cooler. <laughs> they jumped ship a lot earlier, but for a long time, if you wanted to publish a comic and it didn't have this logo, you know, you, you had a good chance of not getting uh, advertising and maybe parents wouldn't buy it. Uh, that's why you see it's like approved by the Comics Code Authority. It was on the cover of almost every comic for a while. Hmm. It and, reminds yeah. me a lot of uh, you know, these, these same things came along in other mediums, right? We got – you get your movie ratings. You have the uh, – the uh, what are the advisories on – 
cassettes and, and CDs at the, in the early 90s with, you know, Tipper Gore charging in on that. And then you right. get the ESRB ratings on video games. It's the same thing that somebody has to come along and go like, oh, boy, kids might see this. Let's I give mean, it a ranking. I understand it on some level, but this is pure puritanical bullshit. OK, so here's mm-hmm. some of the criteria for the comics code to, in order to get the seal of approval. OK. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. Well, that sounds very 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a load of shit. If crime is depicted, it shall be sordid, a sordid and unpleasant activity. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. So you can see the first three so far are just about maintaining order, you know? Right. So we wouldn't want any of these stories to have nuance. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to put any ideas <laughs> in people's heads. We want to maintain the established patriarchy, of course. A criminal mm-hmm. shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates a desire for emulation. I mean, that's like four points that say the same thing. I mean, I guess they were really right. worried that these kids were all going to become Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, uh, but like at the time, it's also like you're, you're worried these kids are going to become Dr. Octopus. Like they're not going to become Dr. <laughs> Octopus. Well, I, those were written under the Comics Code Authority. So maybe that's why right. I had to make it like that. You know, I don't I, no child of mine is going to have mechanical arms coming out of his back. Yeah. <laughs> In every instance, good shall triumph over evil and the pun- and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. Uh, I like, first of all, the use of male pronouns. Uh, it's always men. And... You know, I like that we know the ending, too. The good have to win. So if you see the code, you know the good are going to win in the end. Yeah. Scenes of excessive violence. I mean, there's a good chance of that anyway, but come on. (laughs) Well, I'd like to be surprised. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical agony, the gory and gruesome crime shall all be eliminated. No comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in the title. The title? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it goes on. You know, it's just you can't have anything cool. No blood, no gore, no sex. Sex is being equated with perversion. The police are always right. I mean, this is the shit that... So you had this brief moment in the 50s where some cool shit was going on, and then they came in and they just ruined it. And the result, as you can imagine, was the death of these comics. They couldn't exist under this. No, well, it's an amazing form of censorship because in theory, you would think that you would say, okay, you have a First Amendment right to create this stuff, but, you know, fine, if you want to label it as like, hey, this is not suitable for kids under the age of, you know, whatever, fine, that's reasonable. I thought, you know, I'm a parent. I would want to know if I'm buying something for my kid, like what's in this box, you know, what's, what's in this book, you know, what is she about to read? That's reasonable, I think, for people to be able to do that. But to then just say it can't exist at all is a bridge too far. Yeah, you're right. It's like not actually a violation of the First Amendment because the government isn't getting involved. But it is society basically saying we're going to repress ourselves. And that's basically what happened. So it killed these comics. And, you know, it also reminds me a little bit of Japan sometimes because that's another culture that can be you know, a little buttoned down. And some of the stuff that shows up in the art, though, is like bananagrams, right? So you could see that in this repressed time, they were doing these comics, but eventually it got squelched. Mars Attacks, that's another, I think those were trading cards, the Mars Attacks trading cards. And those also Hmm. were like pretty wild, you know, violent, skeletal Hmm. Martians. And it was all from this time period, you know? Yeah. 
Okay, so that's what so it kills it. Those comics are dead, and then you get basically decades and decades of eat your vegetables, you mm-hmm. know, and be a good citizen. Now, we still got some time before 1989, and another thing happens between now and then. Around the same time period, you get this really cool thing that happens with these regional horror hosts on television, you know, with local network television shows that Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Well, you get Elvira a lot later, but yes, you do get you get her antecedent Vampira. <laughs> right. In the 50s. So you have these shows where they get these movies that are on the cheap, you know, and they're able to right. run them. And they just throw a host on a, a goofy host and goofy garb to appear occasionally to sort of pad it out. And I think probably to make it a certain running time most of the time so they can sell commercials. Yeah, if you want to see a version of this, you, know, you look at uh, Ed Wood. If you want to watch that movie, um, they dramatize some of that. My favorite version of that was Roddy McDowell in Fright Night. Uh, he plays basically one of these types, and he ends up being like, they go to him because there's a vampire in the town. And they're like, oh, you can help <laughs> us. You know about this stuff. And he's, you know, he's a bozo. And it's a really kind of a fun thing where he has to, like, rise to the occasion. Um, hmm. But anyway, you guess you get these regional horror hosts. So you got Vampira. She was one of the first, and she's very much an Elvira, but she was before Elvira, so it's you know. And we'll get to that. That's not an accident. Uh, you get some really great names: Doctor Creep, uh, Sir <laughs> Graves, Ghastly, Sven Gooley, <laughs> Sven Gooley, and these guys. Basically, their whole function was again to just introduce, like, hey, here's a Vincent Price movie, right? Right. Exactly. Ghouls were, were, it's an easy one to do, the cool ghoul. And then uh, locally in Los Angeles, which is where we are, uh, or where I am, and you're, you're nearby and you frequent, we had Sinister Seymour, and he had a show actually called Fright Night. Uh, when he was done around uh, 1981, they wanted to move it over to somebody else. It was a local show, which is sort of interesting. Not a major network. It's on, it became KCAL. I forget what it was called before, but it KCAL 9, which is still, I think, a thing. They still I think these, it exists, yeah. Yeah, it's still a, like a local station, and they get like Seinfeld syndicated episodes at 11 o'clock at night and stuff anyway they wanted to replace sinister seymour and they wanted to do they originally wanted to do a vampire thing they thought they could kind of recreate that character uh they ended up not being able to get the rights so they went to cassandra peter they hired cassandra peterson go to cassandra peterson they did a casting call and they hired cassandra peterson who had been a groundling and had done kind of a valley girl type kind of wry character there that she sort of repurposed for this audition and it ultimately became Elvira. And originally they wanted the look, she wanted the look to be like uh, Sharon Tate in uh, it's like the something Vampire Killers. It's a, it's a Roman Polanski movie that she was in. They, right. Yeah. I, I came across it when we were doing uh, the research for Charles Manson, but I can't remember oh, yeah. the name of it. Yeah, it's a very weird movie. But anyway, she was originally thinking of that look, but they, they went with something that was kind of an approximation of Vampira. And they ended up with Elvira. It changed some things. You got the beehive hairdo and everything. And... It really took off, you know, as a character, I should just mention. I know we're talking about the Crypt Keeper, but Elvira's pretty cool. I, we'll never get a chance mm-hmm. to really talk about her again on this show. And, I mean, she's no villain. <laughs> but she's no. also a, a punster. Her puns tend to be more, like, a boob-based. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
I, believe, I can't remember if it's The Simpsons or Futurama, but they have an analog who is, I think her name is just Booborella. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, what if we made this a little uh, hornier? But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, she took off. She became, you know, even though she was on this local show, it never was nationally syndicated. She ended up on Johnny Carson and they gave her a movie and stuff. So she did become a national figure and still is. And she and the Crypt Keeper both share the distinction of having hosted Halloween Horror Nights. I'm sorry, not Scary Farm Nights over at Knott's Berry Farm. So anyway, you have this thing. You have this this well-trod territory of goofy horror hosts. Also in the 60s, you get the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits and stuff like that. So so this has happened since those comics. Okay, these are the, the true parents of the Crypt Keeper. All right, they come together, and one final thing has to happen. This is the lightning that strikes. It's uh, producer Joel Silver, who has a lot of great action movies to his credit, is talking to Richard Donner on the set of Lethal Weapon, and he's saying, hey, I want to do a Tales from the Crypt movie based on these old goofy comics. And it's a little bit of a tough sell because they'd already tried the Twilight Zone movie and Creep Show. That was a George Romero joint that didn't make a ton of money, but a similar idea. And they go to HBO with this pitch, actually. And then HBO gets interested in this as doing it as a series, and a lot of big names get attached. It's uh, And Robinson. we should know, but I was going to say, but even before you get to that list of, of luminaries, which I, I saw is incredible, um, this is at a point where – this is 1980, 80, probably, what, 7, 88, yeah. where they're still talking about making it. HBO is not the the force of nature that it is now. Not you know, like at post all. Sopranos. Not at all. This is like – this is back when HBO's big selling point was like you could get it at a motel room. <laughs> we have yeah. HBO here. You know, an interesting little side note is that promoting Tales from the Crypt is actually how they originated the It's Not TV, It's HBO slogan. They hmm. actually were like showing some of the wild stuff that was in this, and they were like, It's not TV. You can't do this on TV. It's HBO. So, right. Tales from the Crypt actually made that possible for them. So, uh, anyway, yes. So, you got Richard Donner, Joel Silver. Uh, they wrote in guys like Robert Zemeckis and Walter Hill. They, you know, they grew up with these comics. They got really excited about it. Like, you and I get excited about stuff on this podcast. They wanted to be a part of it. And ultimately, you know, you end up with this TV series called Tales from the Crypt. And it ropes in another thing that we're used to now that didn't happen back then. You get A-listers coming right. on this show left and right. Uh, starring in it and occasionally getting to direct it because it's their opportunity to basically practice directing on like a, a short film. And it's wild. The cast, I mean, I could try to to tell you some of the people that have been on it and it's just a partial list, but it would just be me listing everybody. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Benicio Del Toro, Brad Pitt, Christopher Reeve, Dan Aykroyd, Demi Moore, Ewan McGregor, John Lithgow. I mean, just like, it just goes on. I could go on and on and on. Um, well, there is reckon- one name. Yeah. There is one name. In a previous podcast, believe it or not, uh, it might have been the Mr. Burns one. But when we talked about Jay Sherman, you said, if we ever do The Crypt Keeper, I have to talk about this episode of Tales from the Crypt that has John Lovitz on it. So- I do. Top billing is what it's called. And I will get to that. I promise <laughs> <All right>. you. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Uh, no, I will. I, I will. Yeah. I will. I hope this is unpacking in a logical fashion for everybody. It okay, is. So yeah. We, so we've got this show now. They, they've greenlit it. They're making it. And now, finally, we come to our guest of honor, the Crypt Keeper, you know, the host of this show. And they made some choices with him that are really interesting and are why I think he persists. First of all, it's not a person. It's not just like a guy in a rope, which it could have easily been. It's this awesome puppet created by basically the Jim Henson of horror, uh, Kevin Yeager, 
I think it's pronounced perhaps it's not with it's with a Y instead of a J, so maybe it's a Yager. But Kevin Kevin Yeager, he he created this awesome puppet. And I always like to call out a fantastic voice performance. And John Kessier as the voice voice of the Crypt Keeper is one of the great voice performances. It's iconic. Yeah, it's it's like it's almost Cobra Commander-ish in a way. It's kind of a, on a similar wavelength. And it is what makes the character kind of stick in your mind. Like that that voice is kind of this one of a kind, like as you did it before. It's kind of really up there. It's and it's kind sort of, of a weird it's register. Pat, the way you did it there. Well, yeah. But the Crypt Keeper is like it's it's not just as we sort of talked about with Cobra Commander, right? Like when you get Cobra Commander, uh, you know, on paper, this guy is you know the leader of the evil terrorist organization. And so you probably got 500 auditions of guys going like, yes, I shall destroy the Joes. Right. And what we ended up with was, <laughs> and here it's the same thing, right? Like, it's like, oh, he's this desiccated corpse that is, you know, ghoulishly introducing a series of horror shows. You probably got a lot of similarly like, you know, hello, I'm the Crypt Keeper. And instead we get what John Kassir does. Absolutely. You know, you really have to give credit for the idea and the work that went into creating that character because it's not on the page. You can't put that on the page, you know. So he's making these choices and it's it's this tiny, it's this smallness. It's like, (laughs) guy, and it's just fucking awesome. And I don't know, I can't tell you exactly why. I think maybe it's because we take this thing that's very scary his face is very scary i mean the he's a rotting corpse and right with no nose yeah it's it's something that really kids should never be exposed to but you see him ever he blew up as a character i mean he even did get even got a cartoon i mean and i think it's because of that vocal performance there's just something about it that's just so gleefully silly that really tempers all of the mayhem you're about to see (laughs) Yeah, there, there's something to be said for that, you know, when you take a something that should be scary and you you let the audience in on it. This is it's actually safe. Like it looks scary, but we're going to have a lot of goofy fun, you know. Yeah. Um, and that lets everybody kind of join in. Uh, it puts you at ease a little bit of like, oh, I see the tone they're going for here. Because, again, with all of this like avalanche of puns. That reads as funny, not, you know, the, visually he's scary, but again, right. like the voice and the puns are all telling you, like, I'm on your side, audience. You know, the, I'm your host. I'm, you know, this is going to be fun. And that's the tone of the show. I mean, people are awful. People are mean. They cuss. They chop each other up. They betray each other. And it's all just done in this just gleefully sinister, sadistic way. I think of this show as being pure catharsis. It's just, it's just, everybody's just like, they're id. Everybody in it is pure id. And again, I argue that that's an alternate reality. Maybe that's not, but it's really fun. It's just really fun. And you get to see actors that normally are good people. They always play good guys and they get to play monsters. I remember one, it was called, the, the, I think they always pretty much use the titles from the comics, you know, Carrying Death. And it's Kyle MacLachlan and he's a... A fugitive and he's just a bastard he's just an awful awful character and it's just you can tell he's having the time of his life because when is he going to get to do this ever again you know mm-hmm. so, so tell that's, me that's a little, what this show yeah. is yeah i was gonna say let's if you want to talk about some notable appearances here i think this is probably a good sure. segue so right so there's some some favorite episodes that i have of this show i don't want to spend too much time here but there's some pretty cool ones the first one they ever did stars my boy william sadler you might know him as the Grim Death. Reaper, 
Death from Bill and Ted. Uh, he's done a lot of things, but he it, one of his best performances of all time. And this is what I'm saying. This show gave a platform to really cool character actors to do something they might not normally get to do. So it was uh, called The Man Who Was Death. And he plays an executioner in a prison. And what they do is they pass a law that outlaws capital punishment. And so he goes out and starts punishing the guilty on his own. And it's, it, but he has these monologues to the camera. It's, they're great. And I'm sure they're purely a, an invention of the series and they weren't in the comic. And they're just awesome. So he's just taught, it's, it is like, um, Iago, honestly. Mm-hmm. He's talking to you about what he's doing and like what he believes. And it's just, it's just super great. I don't even want to really spoil it, but that's a really good one. The irony, I think you could probably guess what happens to an executioner who breaks the law. You could probably guess where that goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's another great one. Uh, the holidays are just around the corner. I recommend you check out An All Through the House. That is one that involves an escaped lunatic who's dressed like Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> the story is a, a woman kills her husband, and now all of a sudden she's uh, trapped in her house, and there's a there's a sinister Santa Claus outside. Now, I want to pause for a moment and say that that's actually the second time that story has been dramatized. There was a movie called Tales from the Crypt, in 1972, starring uh, among other things, Joan among other actors, Joan Collins and Grand Moff Tarkin himself, Peter Cushing. Uh, and is the Crypt Keeper in that version? Uh, no, or no? I, I do not okay. believe he is. But uh, that story, it, it called and all through the house here it, about a killer maniac Santa Claus, is in that. So hmm. they do a monkey's paw. It's it's you know it's a 70s movie. It's a little right. weird, but it's a Hammer House uh, film. So those are a couple of my favorites, uh, but let's talk about the star turn of your boy, John Lovitz. Aha! Acting! Top billing! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so he is a struggling actor in this, and he is, it's Bruce Boxleitner, I believe. It's the oh, other. Tron! Uh, yes, I believe that's that's the other guy. And so he's basically always in the shadow of this dude, who sucks as an actor, but he has the look, you know? And so what happens Wait a minute. Are you, are you saying that John Lovitz does not have the look? It's Because know, it's, I take exception to that, sir. As, <laughs> as a John Lovitz lookalike myself. He has a look. And, uh, well, you'll be happy how it resolves. So, right. he's, so he's a struggling actor, and, and, and this guy is, is a dick to him who always books, and, and he doesn't. And so somehow he sees this ad, I think, just like on the street or something for a, a production of Hamlet. And he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do some real art. You know, I'm going to go and just, I, you know, I think they say it pays. He's like, I'm going to do, I get to make some money. I'm going to go do it. And Bruce Boxleitner somehow catches wind of him doing it. And he's like, I'm going to prove to you that it's all about looks. I'm going to go and I'm going to beat you out for this role. So they go to this little theater to do this thing and it's um oh god the name of the actor i don't know the name of the actor off the top it's like is it john astin from oh uh, uh you mean sean astin's father gomez john, adams yes is that sean astin's dad yes i did not know that yeah yeah wow that is that's sean so cool. astin's father it is john astin who's this goofy mm-hmm. director he's yes gomez adams from the series the adams family and he's this goofy director, furry hat. He's just very strange. He's again, chewing the scenery. People just chew the scenery in this show. And so long story short, Bruce Boxleitner beats him out for the role. 
and he's had it and he crosses the line and he chokes him to death in the dressing room. And so John Aston comes in. He's like, where is he? Where's my Hamlet? And he's like, oh, or no, sorry, he doesn't say where's my Hamlet. He's like, well, you know, where's my star? I'm sorry. And he's like, oh, he, uh, he, cold feet. Worst case of cold feet I've ever seen. He ran off. He's like, all right, well, I guess we'll have to make do with you. And so what he learns is that it's actually a bunch of mental patients. They've killed the staff. And he's actually been cast as Yorick, <laughs> the skull. <laughs> <laughs> and so because that's what it says on his costume he looks at the tag and it says yorick you know and so then he <laughs> realizes like he runs and he sees all the dead doctors now and he realizes oh my god these are just a bunch, they put the ad out like on the street you know this only happened a few hours ago where they killed everybody and uh so they they kill him and the last shot is him with the you know as the skull and some dope is playing hamlet and uh, John Aston's like, I was wrong about the boy. He had the look after all. <laughs> so that that was a great one. And and you know, it's you'll never get to see uh, John Lovitz do a dramatic turn again. Probably. I I mean, it'd be great if he did, but he's great in it. It's so hmm. much fun. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, I could go on and on and on. I don't want to bore people to death. There, there. I will say one notable thing is they did try to do a couple of other shows like this based on some of these other comics. So Two-Fisted Tales, I think they tried to basically do a series called that. I think it was a Fox pilot, hosted again by my guy, William Sadler. And they had a few uh, episodes in that, or they had a few little vignettes. Uh, The pilot didn't go, so then they repurposed them as Tales from the Crypt stories, even though they're not quite horror-based. There's a really good one called Yellow. Would you like to hear about Yellow, Doug? Is Yellow based on uh, The King in Yellow or The Yellow Wallpaper, both of which are awesome horror stories? It's more like Yella. You're Yella. You're a coward. Uh, okay. So it's World War One, and it's got Kirk Douglas in it and his <laughs> lesser known son. I don't know his name. It's not Michael Douglas. It's the other Douglas. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and anyway, you know, he is a coward. He's like the son of a general, and uh, he he doesn't fight. You know, and and he's basically ultimately given command of uh, a mission because the general doesn't want people to think his son is yellow. He's like, you're going to go and prove to them that you got what it takes. And so they go out there and he just completely chickens out and they all get killed except for him. And he comes back and he's got some st- He was supposed to prevent the Germans from cutting their communication lines or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So he comes back and he's like, I, I tried, you know, but they whatever you know i couldn't do it or and and but he's got some heroic story and, and then lance hendrickson comes in and his guts are hanging out <laughs> and he's like you you left <laughs> it's just really like, so so basically he gets uh sentenced to death for cowardice in the face of the enemy and he's there waiting the night before he's going to be shot and his father comes in kirk douglas his actual father comes in and he says uh look I'm not going to let you die. You know, you're my son. So normally in the firing squad, they give one guy a blank. You know about this, Doug? I've heard this legend. Yeah. Yeah. So that they can at least say, well, maybe I didn't fire the shot that killed the guy. They have that kind of, they can tell themselves that later. He's mm-hmm. like, but this time I'm going to fill all the guns with blanks. And so when that happens, you know, you throw yourself back into the ditch there. We're going to move out immediately. We got to move. And uh, I'm going to leave some food and water for you. And you'll be able to escape. And uh, so then the next day, it's the firing squad. His son 
brave as ever, you know, is like he's like because he, he knows he's not going to die. And everyone's like, wow, you know, this guy's really taking this well, you know, <laughs> he steps up there and everything. And at the last second, he looks at his dad who can't make eye contact with him. And he realizes this is all bullshit just to get him to walk out there like a man. And mm-hmm. then he gets just clobbered. He gets shot. And then it's like, my son wasn't yellow, you know. So that's a great one. And, and it's, it's not very tales from the crypt. And I know, like, they probably yeah, straight themselves. Yeah, it's not to- horror exactly. It's you know, it's got the kind of. Uh, story structure that you would expect from this. It's got the little twist at the end, and right, it, it the does twist feel is very a important. little more. Yeah, it feels a little more Twilight Zoney than than uh, uh, horror based. But you're right, it's it not, still fits, and it's a kind of comeuppance because he was yellow. You know, he right. did abandon his men, and so he did deserve some kind of retribution. But it didn't quite fit. But they, but it was a great episode. And uh, they just had intended it for a different series. And I think they probably had to strain themselves to get the Crypt Keeper to be like, eh, mm-hmm. that's what happens in World War One. <laughs> 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 that's what you get. <laughs> uh, anyway, I could go on but, and on. I mean, so many great. Well, Pilt Pats uh, is, yeah, yeah. is a great one. I was, was so going to say, let's, maybe we should talk about Lower Birth then, because that's kind of more character based oh, around uh, the Crypt well, Keeper. Well, yeah, I'll just tell you that. That one, I think, was in the comics, and they just had a little bit of fun, and it's about circus freaks. <laughs> Basically, there's a there's a two-headed circus. I can't really remember the story, but I know there's a two-headed character and a mummy, and an old yeah. mummy. And she and him are, ultimately, at the end, they have a child, and they kind of do a little slow zoom, and then the little baby, you see the little baby's face, and it's clearly like a, it's like Baby Yoda. It's the first Baby Yoda. It's a little baby <laughs> Crypt Keeper. So that's basically, and, and he oh. just kind of, yeah, refers to it. And they did a couple of episodes that sort of broke the form, and that was one of them. They did another one with Harry Anderson where he was like an artist for EC Comics <laughs> and stuff. Hmm. So, yeah, they played with it from time to time. Those necessarily weren't my favorites. I, I, like, I like it when they do a Tales from the Crypt straight and they do it well you know right so I, what i'm getting from you as i listen to you kind of recount these is that the, the what makes the crypt keepers character really click is that he does so much in terms of setting the tone that makes these stories really work i think without um, because him I, you know yeah yeah i was i mean without him the stories do work you know, right they are these standalone pieces but they're bookending him with this guy for a reason, and it, it's it's always it's a multiplier. Like it enhances the story to have him there. I think if you don't have the Crypt Keeper, these stories are far more disturbing. You know, that's true. They feel bleak, right? They're all kind of bleak, and he kind of comes in and like makes it merry. And sometimes he even does a thing which is like, don't feel bad about old Doug. I understand that he, you know, like, <laughs> he'll mm-hmm. come up with some sort of stupid, like, postscript. Uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. like, they'll, they'll do stuff like that. It definitely, he is the the thing that softens the, the blow of the whole thing. The blow of the whole thing. I'll just say one more notable episode is this one called, it was probably the last good one. Because they did a seventh season in England that just, unfortunately, sucks. I mean... It's got some cool people showing up like Daniel Craig, but it's just it's just a completely different production team and it blows. So you mm-hmm. can skip that. But the six, first six seasons are good. And in the sixth season, I think it was Robert Zemeckis. He is at the height of his Forrest Gump CGI-itude, did one called You Murderer, where the whole episode is from your point of view, and you're like the you're you're the corpse in it <laughs> hmm. that's been killed. Also on top of that, you look like Humphrey Bogart. So anytime there's like a reflection or something, you see like Humphrey Bogart's face, you know, where <laughs> you are. 
uh, and it's Isabella Rossellini and John Lithgow like trying to get rid of your body. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's just fun. Uh, it's just a good time. Uh, one other uh, appearance of the Crypt Keeper is they, they really merchandised him out pretty well. He was the uh, elf of his time. Yeah. So they put out some albums. Oh. <laughs> it was the early 90s. He had to have a rap album. Right. The one I listened to was the Christmas track Deck the Halls with Parts of Charlie. Right. Well, uh, so, yes, he did have a lot of appearances and a lot of things. Uh, The album is called Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas, which I do own. And uh, I don't have I don't do. have deck the halls with parts of Charlie. Oh, that's on is, there. That's that's the, like the first song I think. At least according to Wikipedia. That was no, like no, no. I don't track. have it queued up, Doug. Oh, uh, oh, okay. What I do have is uh, we wish you'd bury the misses. We <laughs> great. We wish you'd bury the misses. We wish you'd bury the misses. We wish you'd bury the misses. She's been dead since last year. She's getting quite gamey with mold on her skin. You <laughs> killed her last Christmas. That's how long it has been. Yeah, it's so, time you yeah. The Great performance. Great performance yeah. by John Kisser. What can't he do? <laughs> right. He is uh, Migo, the uh, the raccoon in Disney's Pocahontas. So there oh, you go. interesting. I did not know that. Uh, Which is, yeah. But not of much of a vocal performance because that character doesn't talk. It just makes like uh, raccoon noises. Oh, But it's weird. him. Weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, to your point, he did become an icon that sort of popped up in a lot of things. Uh, one other little tidbit I want. I don't know if I'll get to it. Otherwise, his eyes. Okay. They belong to another horror figure that were repurposed for the Crypt Keeper. Another very famous character. Can you think of who it might be? It wouldn't be a <laughs> physical person. Right. It would have to be a puppet. Um, is it Chucky? It is Chucky. He has the wow, eyes okay. of Chucky, which is sort of, I mean, it's just interesting. He does have these piercing blue eyes for like, yeah, a that's what made corpse. me think. Like, yeah. That's what I thought of. It was like, I it's the only thing I could think of was like a horror puppet. Um, so yeah, as wow. you mentioned, he, he's been in a number of things. Uh, there were a couple of movies. They did Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. Those were the two Tales from the Crypts branded films. They wanted to do a trilogy, but Bordello of Blood didn't do well at all. So it, Pretty much tanked that idea. Demon Knight also stars William Sadler, this time as a hero, which is kind of fun. Bordello of Blood has real-life villain Dennis Miller as the the hero, so maybe that's where they went wrong. So they did do a couple of movies. I mean, that's how big it got. Hmm. I I, I assume you haven't seen those. I have not. You know, I... It's not like I was deprived of horror stuff, but my parents weren't big on letting me watch a lot of horror stuff, which is fine because I had friends. I'd go over to their house for a sleepover and we'd watch all that shit, um, yeah. which is one of the reasons I, I kind of have such affection for for villains and, and horror um, because it was like it was slightly forbidden fruit. It wasn't like my parents were, uh, you know, the town from Footloose. Far from it. But uh, <laughs> for some reason, uh, they were just kind of like, oh, we think you might be too young to watch some of this horror stuff. So, well, I was you too know. young to watch it. And yet here I was watching it right and that right. was part of the that's fun. what made it cool it was yeah. you know you weren't I, supposed I mean, to watch it i don't think it affected me negatively but it certainly affected my taste i was impressionable so yeah there were a couple of, i'm just going to talk about a couple of other appearances of the crypt keeper he had a cartoon series that i mentioned on abc called tales from the crypt keeper which i never watched it just seemed 
weird to take this guy who tells murder stories and turn him into a Saturday morning cartoon, but they did. Do well, that. you know, it's doable. I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, I grew up watching uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. Yes, yes. And that's a horror series, you know, an anthology series aimed at a younger audience. So, you know, you just kind of tone down the, the content a little bit so it can work. And they do, and they do, certainly. And his, you know, he's a cartoon, so he's going to be less uh, detailed in his mm-hmm. grotesquery. Uh, then, I didn't know about this until fairly recently. I discovered it about a year ago. I guess there was a game show on Saturday mornings that co- was called Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. That really rolls off the tongue. And yeah. <laughs> it was like, they had kind of a, a Mark Summers type host also, they had the Crypt Keeper, and it was kids doing a bunch of stuff like in what was supposed to be, I guess, the Crypt Keeper's house. It was a very weird idea. Hmm. Yeah. It sounds a little like Legends of the Hidden Temple. Sort of. I'm sure that was the influence on it. So that was an odd. You can find all these things on YouTube, by the way. And by the way, notable absence on HBO Max. You cannot. I know. I, I when we decided to do this episode, I'm like, well, I better go watch some Tales of the Crypt ep- episodes and bone up on it. And like, nope, it's not bone there. Up bone up on it. <laughs> but yeah, it's missing, which is like that's weird because this was a show that really helped build HBO. Yeah, like you know, you'd think it'd be there. That they have, and, uh, you know. There's some of their uh, old shit. Arliss is on there. You know? <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I didn't know Arliss was on there. That's great. I think it's on there. You know? <laughs> well, they don't have that. And they don't have Dream On. That was another one that I remember. Right. And that was that that show that was like a sitcom, but with boobs. Because, you know, I'm right. showing what they, what they could get away with. The funny thing about Dream On, though, is now with animated GIFs, you know, when people will throw those into <laughs> conversations, that's basically what Dream On was. They would occasionally cut to like an old clip from an old movie to punctuate a joke and then cut back to it. And it's like, oh, life has become real life dream on. We sort of do that in conversations now. We'll just put a weird little gif in instead of a response. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's weird. The good news is a lot of that stuff is actually available on YouTube. I think it still is, Tales from the Crypt. You can actually watch a lot of these. Sometimes they cut out, actually cut out the Crypt Keeper sometimes. They do some really dumb stuff, but you can actually watch a lot of this on YouTube. I did watch a handful of clips. That's where I saw them, but they were pretty low quality so it was kind of like eh. full um, episodes you can get the dvds and stuff i'm sure someone will figure out the legal rights eventually but for now it is not on hbo max but go on YouTube. i assume that's why all right uh so dan should we move on to uh the uh, fan casting the crypt keeper if we were to bring him back today assuming you don't have john kassir uh who would you choose for this assignment uh, well, I thought about this, Doug, and uh, he is a similarly kind of high-pitched, uh, small-sounding voice. He's on Harley Quinn, the animated series, which I believe actually is, on, I think, on HBO Max now. I think they picked it up from the DC Universe uh, service. I think that's where you can find it. Uh, Tony Hale, who you might know from Arrested oh, Development. Sure. but he, He's I also Forky. Forky, yes. He's Forky yeah. in Toy Story 4. Uh, based on his Dr. Psycho performance in Harley Quinn, I think Tony Hale could do a pretty good version of what we already know about the Crypt Keeper without changing it substantially. Yeah, it's it's hard. He, this is one of those voices that's so iconic. It's like, you know, okay, Mel Blanc died. We need a new Bugs Bunny. And yeah, you get Billy West to like, it's like Billy West is doing his damnedest to 
perfectly mimic Bugs Bunny because if it doesn't sound quite like it, your brain goes like, no, that's not Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And it's similar here. It's like, you know, who can we get that does the best impression of this? Now, if you uh, were going to bring back a type of show like this and you didn't have John Kess here, you know, there were a couple of other hosts from the comics that you could use. There was the Vault Keeper. There was the Old Witch. Uh, there was the Vault of Horror and the Haunt of Fear, respectively. Those were their comics. So you could just pick a different character, in which case you probably have a little more free reign. True. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I think you need somebody who just, you know, you get like Mark Hamill who can, you know, whose like, Joker voice is pretty close to... This, you know, he, I think he could make that adjustment and, and do it pretty well. Yeah, they're, but. they're definitely peers, uh, the Crypt Keeper and Mark Hamill's Joker, appearing around the same time. Right. Okay, so moral alignment for the Crypt Keeper is actually kind of interesting because he's not a, really a villain in the sense like he's not stabbing people and chopping them up. Well, you know? actually, Doug, I got to push back on that a little bit because oh, there's, okay. there's two reasons I would argue that he's a villain. One is his unforgivable use of puns. Right. And the other is there definitely in these segments, a lot of times you'll see people that are like tied up or something. And then you, at the end of the episode, they're they're dead. You know, there's arrows in their chest or, you know, they've been uh, you know burned or something like he definitely seems to have a wanton disregard for human life and seems to actively participate occasionally. Uh, but even as an observer, he seems to take a lot of pleasure in the suffering of others. Okay, so then he's got to be chaotic then, because there's easily. he's just there's too much glee. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily chaotic. Although I would say there's a lawful component to him because there is this sort of weird moral comeuppance that seems to happen in this. So he he's I, I feel like it, you know it's a question. It's like is Rod Serling causing the stuff that's happening in the Twilight Zone, or is he merely an observer? Is the Crypt Keeper mm. causing this shit to happen? Is he manipulating this stuff? Is he putting the pieces in place? Or is he merely an observer? If he's an observer, then it's just he's just laughing and enjoying it and occasionally killing people in the in the bumpers. If he's actually causing it to happen, then he's like adhering to some sort of weird moralistic, you know what I mean? Bent. So so that 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 would sort of change things depending on your interpretation. Yeah. But still, probably chaotic either way. No, so yeah, I think I think we're pretty clear. He's got to be chaotic, whether he's you know, because like I said, even if he's doing these like murders in the margins, he's still looking at all this horror that happens and laughing. So he's, yeah, he's loving it. That's yeah, he's loving it. So there all you right, go. title uh, flight I, time. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I know we're we're, <laughs> we're coming up on your your pumpkining. You're, you you've got to get up in the morning. I want to say one other thing before we get to that really quickly. Just one little note that he does sure. have one other appearance that surprised me. He shows up briefly in the Casper movie, the live action Casper movie. From <laughs> oh, with Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman. Yeah. 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 So that's sort of weird. Uh, you can find that clip online. I don't need to say much more than that. All right. Title <laughs> fight. Who's he up against? Uh, in this corner, we have the Crypt Keeper. And in the other corner, we have the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, well, here's the thing about the Crypt Keeper. He will, like, put himself into a guillotine. <laughs> Right. And, like, pull the rope and cut off his own head. I mean, these are the kinds of things that he'll do. So it's hard to imagine that there's, like, two unkillable characters. I would say this is an unstoppable force meets an immovable object because they're both dead. Uh, and, they are, like you said, they're both seemingly unkillable. Well, in a uh, all things being equal, the Crypt Keeper is much smarter, I think, than the Headless Horseman. 
Uh, so I feel like he would, the Headless Horseman would be the boob who shows up in the beginning. And then at the end, you see that the Crypt Keeper has somehow, after you've watched the whole episode, that somehow has to do with heads. <laughs> uh, you come back and you see that he somehow got the best of the Headless Horseman. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what would happen. Yeah. He is a little, so- he actually, sorry, he is a little bit of a Bugs Bunny. I was going to say, he's he is Bugs Bunny to, you know, when Bugs Bunny would go up against, say, Elmer Fudd or even Wiley Coyote, they'd put him up against sometimes. Um, there, there's a little bit of that. I think that, like, the Crypt Keeper, because of his cleverness, has to kind of win these battles because the, the Headless Horseman is all brute force. Yeah, he because he's so confident and goofy, that's why it works. If he was ever worried about his own well-being, it sort of would take away that that fun. Well, there's that that kind of like sadomasochism to him, like you said, where he's like, you can do whatever you want to me. You can set me on fire. It's fun. He loves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll set myself on fire. Right. So, right. so I, I think you're right. That, yeah. No, I was just going to say that's definitely an edge. Yep. So, okay. So we're giving it to the Crypt Keeper over the Headless Horseman. The winner is you. A winner is you. A sinner is you. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I always feel like you could take like a class, <laughs> like, you know, ah, here's how you turn any normal human sentence into Halloween puns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, well, good. I'm glad. Because uh, he's close to my heart for reasons I can't fully understand. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the Crypt Keeper, Doug. Yeah, I think so. I think we've done him justice. And I think, you know, he is so. a a fun Halloween presence uh, that, well, you know, even though the show ended in the 90s, like I feel like that it's still resonated onward. You know, we're still talking about him now. And I feel like even if you pulled, you know, someone who was born in the year 2000, they'd still know who the Crypt Keeper was. Like that character just kept maybe just force of marketing, but he's still there. (laughs) Force of marketing. I like that expression. He'll be back. They'll bring him back in some capacity uh, for sure. And honestly, I think we need a little Crypt Keeper in our lives right now. If the Headless Horseman is the scary part of Halloween, then the Crypt Keeper is the fun part. Right. Okay, let's uh, let's do some admin stuff real quick. Um, we uh, would love to hear from you guys, so make sure you drop us a review at Apple uh, Podcast. That's a good way to make sure that other people can hear about the show and learn about it. Uh, also, we'd love to hear from you, so tweet at us at Podcast But Evil, and we should talk a little bit about what's coming up next. So uh, after this, we've got Pennywise, the uh, the dancing clown. Hello, Georgie. Uh, and then we're closing out Halloween with Hannibal Lecter. We'll have to decide. Oh, and we're going to have a good, uh, all assuming everything goes according to plan, we should have an awesome guest for that. So we're really excited. And we should have a guest for uh, Hannibal Lecter as well. An awesome guest for Hannibal Lecter as well. Doug, have you you've seen the series? I have, all the way through. Great. We're going to have uh, an embarrassment of riches on that one because our guest, I think, has a lot to say about the films. So it'll be nice for you to fill it out maybe with a little bit of the TV series. Though, admittedly, Anthony Hopkins is... The one that everyone thinks of. I think so. And I've read uh, three of the four books. I think there's four. So I've read three of them. So that'll that'll help. Um, Lots of fun stuff to look forward to. Yes. Absolutely. So I think that'll close us out. And uh, do you want to close us out as the the Crypt Keeper, Dan? Uh, Yeah, I wish there was a pun to do, but I don't think there is. So I'm just going to say, gentlemen, to evil. Clink. Clink. Ah!
call. Well, Barry axed for the part and he got it. But typical Barry, they still couldn't use his face. It's just as well the critics would have cut him to pieces. <laughs> I'm calling my agent. I've waited all my death to play the part of Yorick. So until next time, kiddies. Hello? I'd like to speak with my agent. What do you mean he's in a beating? <laughs>